0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Faith in the Zone, a show about sports and faith and how the two come together in lives being touched. Right now, discover how people in sports walk in faith with host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time
1: me Welcome to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I am Mike McGivern, flying solo this week. Pastor Ken Keltner is out of town. If you listen to Faith in the Zone, you know that we have a lot of guys on, on this show. Some guys I know, other guys I'm, I'm just meeting for the first time. And every once in a while, we have on a guest that in the in his playing days, I was a huge, huge fan. And if you've heard me talk about baseball, the kind of baseball players that I love are guys that that play hard all the time. Smart baseball players, guys that uh, that will give themselves up to to uh, to get a runner over, uh, guys that take the extra base. And uh, this guy certainly was one of those guys. He's a former center fielder, national league all-star. Brett Butler will join us for the entire hour. Brett, it's really good to talk to you, sir. How are you? Uh,
2: Mike, I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, you bet. Brett, I, I have to tell you, I, I was a huge Brett Butler fan. And my favorite baseball player of all time was Robin Yount. And one of the reasons I loved watching Robin Yount play is he played hard all the time. And if he hit a one-hopper to the shortstop, he was flying down, down to first base. He wasn't jogging. He wasn't, you know, he didn't slam the the the, uh, the bat down. He just took off thinking that if that shortstop bobbled it even for a second, he would, uh, he'd be on first base. And you had a lot of that in you. And I've told people a lot that if you had played here in Milwaukee, man, this community would have embraced the type of player you were.
2: Well, I appreciate that. You know, I only grew up an hour south in Libertyville as a kid. So there were times I'd go out to – you know, the the county stadium and sit in the stands and and do that at times. But, um, you know, you talked about Robin and him hustling every day. I remember when I first broke in the big leagues, my father who was a Marine said something to me that that I never forgot, and I carried it through my career, and that was simply this. You know, this world is a tough place to live, and people are going to pay their hard-earned money to come and see you play just to get away from the rat race make sure that you play hard every single day because they might only see you play one time and never let them down, always play hard. And that's the way I try to play every day.
1: Man, that's awesome. And and you did that, Brad. I, I, I Again, watching you play, the other part of your game that I really enjoyed was defensively how strong you were in center field, always just about always throwing to the right base. I know we make mistakes at times, but cutting off gaps and, and really kind of being the quarterback of that defense in the outfield, um, you were pretty comfortable out in center field. That was your spot.
2: Well, I, I love that. Um, to me, I always love to take control out there, but I had a below-average arm, and so I had to make up for it with my speed and being able to uh, – have an idea of how the guys um, were going to hit the ball, prepare myself before the ball game, talk to my left and my right fielders to have an understanding of what was going on. And not only that, talking to the pitchers, knowing uh, how they felt. You know, after they warmed up before uh, starting the game, I'd walk up to them and say, how do you feel? And you know, it might be, hey, my curveball's great or my fastball's not very good. So that would give me a little bit of an idea of, of how to play out there that seemed to work for me.
1: You know, I I want to thank Randy Holland, um, one of our past guests, for uh, introducing me to Brett and and saying, look, Brett would be a great guest on Faith in the Zone. And he told us a story, and I think it was on the air when he was on a few weeks ago. He said, you know, talking to Brett Butler, he said he made a comment one time that, that just made me think, wow, I never thought of that. But he said every time the third baseman would make the last out in an inning, he said, you can almost be assured that I'm butting his way. Cause his mind isn't really into playing defense right off the bat, and I'm going to try to get on base by bunting down the third baseline. That's the kind of mindset that you went up to the plate with.
2: Well, I had to do that, but to be honest with you, I got that little nugget from Rod Carew. You know, when I first broke in, there were three people that I truly admired. You know, Willie Mays, I wanted to be able to play center field like Willie Mays. I wanted to be able to lead off like Pete Rose, and I wanted to be able to bunt like Rod. So when I was over you know, in Cleveland, I remember running across the field when he was with the Angels, and I'd pick his brain, and that was one of the things that he had said to me is, hey, they know you're going to bunt. They just don't know when. Only you do. If you can put the ball out there just about four or five feet, it doesn't matter where they're playing. But also remember, you know, you have to be one step ahead. So if the third baseman makes the last out or the second baseman makes the last out in an inning, you know, that's a perfect opportunity. First pitch, boom jump you on a bunt because they're thinking about their hitting they're not thinking about your defense something another nugget that I just tried to pick
1: boy that's that's awesome when you talk about those three players uh too bright. when you're when you're talking about you know Willie Mays and Pete Rose and Rod crew man th- those are three of the obviously the greatest baseball players that we've ever seen
2: well that's true you know that's why I, I guess as a kid you know you you admire the best so um, you try to emulate them at times, and even though uh, Willie was right-handed, you know I knew I couldn't uh, hit home runs like him. But boy, I wanted to run the outfield the way he did. And uh, I remember my first year in Candlestick Park. Uh, I remember walking up to Willie, and I said, and his nickname was Buck, and I said, Buck, how do you, how do you play center field in Candlestick Park? And he looked at me with that high voice, and he goes, Bud, Bud, you just got to watch the trash. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, you know, you get ready, and when the pitcher goes into the windup, he says you look to the right at Candlestick, and if the trash is up against the fence, you know the ball's going to carry. But if it's swirling, you've got to count 1,001 because the trajectory is going to change because of the wind, and then you go get the ball. That's what I did. I watched the trash.
1: That's awesome, man! You you gotta you gotta love that that kind of information from somebody like Willie Mays about playing center field. Um, certainly a candlestick. Hey, you had mentioned that you grew up in Libertyville. Um, I know that you spent your teenage years there and and uh, played baseball at Libertyville High School. Uh, w- did a lot of colleges come knocking, or was that something that that uh, uh, didn't happen for you in high school, and you had to take? You had to to go. I know you ended up at Southeastern Oklahoma State. Um, Did you get a lot of offers at that time?
2: Well, to to be honest with you, Mike, I didn't have any offers. I, um, as a freshman, I played freshman baseball on the Libertyville team. As a sophomore, I played sophomore. As a junior, I sat on the bench. I didn't have one at bat. I wanted to be around the game. I wanted to play, but they didn't think I was good enough. And uh, so I kept uh, score and and watched the cheerleaders. My senior year, I went out and. Part of the reason was because our best player's brother played my position. And so, you know, politics work. But I got 32 at best my senior year. And that was it. And after the season was over and I graduated, my father said, well, son, where do you want to go to play school? Go to ball, play ball. And I said, hold on, Dad. I went out and got the paper and came back. And in uh, 1975, the best school in the nation was Arizona State. And I said, hey, Dad, I'm going to walk on to Arizona State. If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. And he said, well, you got to have something to fall back on. So uh, I walked on, there were 209 of us, they kept uh, eight of us, and I played on the junior varsity. And Jim Brock, who was the head coach there, I impressed him so much that when I got to the big leagues, they said, well, where did you play? I said, I played at Arizona State, played at Southeastern Oklahoma, and Jim Brock said, Brett Butler's lying. He never played at my school. I was there a full year with Chris Bando and some of the guys on, on the JV club, but to his defense, you know, most of the guys on that 76, uh, 75, 76 team, Played in the big leagues. So how is, how is he going to remember a little guy like me? But like you said, from there, I came home, didn't have a lot of money, and uh, played in a fall league in Zion, Illinois. And a guy said, "Hey, I get you a scholarship to Southeastern." I went down there. I was there for three years. Um, graduated and got drafted in the uh, first round. For now, I got drafted in the twenty-third round for a thousand bucks. Two years and two months later, I was in the big leagues.
1: Unbelievable. Man, that that's like what movies are made out of. I have to be honest. And then looking at your stats uh, at Southeastern Oklahoma State University, uh, you were the first uh, first guy there ever to hit 400. You hit 439 in 1977. You, a career, a home runs, 31. I didn't know you had that kind of power. To be honest with you, 31 dingers. Well done with that triples, hits, home runs. Uh, career batting average of three ninety-four. I've got to believe that that high school coach at Libertyville had to be thinking, you got to be kidding, I missed on this kid.
2: Well, you know, uh, uh, two points of that story. One was, yeah, I did. I had 31 home runs in, in college, but and, and I'll talk a little bit later about that. But what happened is I remember going back to the high school, and he was not a baseball player. He was a math teacher. But he said, what did I do wrong? I said, really, you did nothing wrong. You just you know, thought the other guys were better, and you didn't give me a chance to play, but I, I thank you for that because you are my driving force because I wanted to prove to you more than anybody else that I could play. Wow. And so then when I went to Southeastern and I got drafted in the 23rd round for 1000 bucks, I go down to Florida, to Braddington, Florida, uh, in rookie ball, and I have a coach by the, na- uh, by the name of Pedro Gonzalez, and he looked at me and he goes, dude, you're trying to hit home runs, and he says... If you hit 10 or 15 and you hit 270, he said, you'll be gone, you know, in a blink of an eye. He goes, but you can run like the wind. If you will just concentrate on getting on base, setting the table, learn how to be a good leadoff guy, hit the ball the other way, make the shortstop, make one or two steps. You know you can beat it to the bag. You do that, I believe that you'll be in the big leagues in two years. And so I bought into what he said, trying to change my swing and slap the ball, and, and the rest is history.
1: Man, that's awesome. We were talking to Brett Butler, former center fielder, National League All-Star. I want to go back real quick to your high school coach. Uh, Brett, I've coached this is my 35th year coaching uh, basketball, mostly in the high school uh, level. And it's amazing how many kids, and now they're grown men, will come back to me and say, Coach, do you remember when you said this? Or, Coach, do you remember when you did this? and as as coaches we have to we have to understand the kind of impact that we have on kids at this age because it's, it's amazing to me how many things they remember that I've completely forgotten. In fact, I coached uh, two years in girls basketball at uh, a, a small high school called Calvary Baptist where my son went and played on the boys' team. I was coaching the boys' team. The girls' team didn't have a coach, so I coached their, uh, the girls' team as well for two years. I still get Facebook messages and text messages and emails from these girls saying, Hey coach, I'm now coaching a volleyball team, and I'm I hear myself saying the same stuff that you used to say to us. And so it's really important, especially for grade school and high school coaches, to understand the kind of impact that we can have on our players' lives.
2: Well, if they will just look at it as a privilege, you know, I managed in the minor leagues for about seven or eight years, and I still have players, and I can tell you story after story about things where I got on them. And, and, and part of it is this: you know, the kids today. They, de- they desire structure and discipline. They just don't know how to ask. Uh, they might not say that, but they truly do. But they will listen to you when they know that you care. And that's the bottom line. All they're looking for are from people who care enough about them to teach them about the why. You know, when we were growing up, you know, your coach said something to you. You just did it because you believed in them. This is a generation, okay, of millennials that they have to know why, and so what you got to do is you've got to be able to explain the why to them for them to really understand. But truly, if they know you care, they'll listen. They come back time after time. And to me, there's, uh, it, it was an honor for me, and I know it is for you, uh, and a privilege to be able to coach these, um, these kids. But there's so much satisfaction and gratification when they call you back and say, you know what, you are a big part of my life.
1: And that's what it's all about. Yeah, it really is. And I've got a feeling, um, if that, that high school coach down in Libertyville, if he's still around, he's telling stories about you, Brett. He's saying, look, let me let me tell you about this guy. And let he had 32 at bats his senior year, and he and he had a you know a big time career in in the Major League Baseball. Throughout his career, Brett Butler hit uh two ninety. He had just under twenty four hundred hits, five hundred and fifty-eight stolen bases, and uh as this, uh, as I did some research, it said many considered him to be the best leadoff hitter in the 1980s and early 90s due to his high base on base percentage, speed. And uh, his dynamic bunting, he, he was known as one of the best bunters uh, of all time. We're going to get to a break. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk to Brett a little bit. We're going to ask him for his testimony. And, and, and I'll ask him the question that I ask a lot of these guys, was it easier to walk worthy in the locker room or outside of the locker room? We'll get his answer on the other side of the break. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan.
0: Back to Faith in the Zone. A journey on how people in sports walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by Bunzel's Old-Fashioned Meat Market. Here's host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 1057 FM, The Fan. All this time. All this time. You covered me.
1: Welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I'm Mike McGivern, again, flying solo this week. Pastor Ken Keltner is out of town. Our special guest for the entire show, former center fielder and National League All-Star Brett Butler. Brett, where are you living now?
2: Uh, I live. We live in Scottsdale, Arizona. We've been here about 12, 13 years.
1: Hey, you got to man up and come back to uh, the Midwest for the winter. Come on.
2: I'm too old for that. Uh, I've got that. Uh, I love the hot weather now. Uh, we have uh, four more children in uh, in Nashville. We go back and visit, but uh, we've grown to love Arizona. I, I really didn't like the desert or the valley. I'm kind of a California and and a, a Chicago guy. But the win- the winters just got so bad up there. It was like it's time to go.
1: Yeah. I agree. It's, uh, it, it, it seems to get tougher and tougher the older I get, but, man, I was born and raised in Milwaukee. I love Milwaukee, and I love calling Milwaukee my home, and, and uh, my family, most at least my immediate family, my daughter and son, grandkids all live here, and and uh, one day maybe I'll get someplace warm, but, man, it's not going to be today, and I'm sure it's not going to be tomorrow. Hey, Brett, we, we love asking uh, our guests for their testimony. Um, on this show, we get a lot of coaches, a lot of parents, a lot of kids that are listening uh, to this show. In fact, I got an email uh, earlier this week from a woman who said, look, our 15-year-old son listens to your Sunday show every Sunday from 8 to 9, and it's as close to church as, as, as he as he can get right now. Um, and so thank you for what you do. So we really appreciate the testimony that that our guests give. So if I can, if you can share your testimony with us, that would be outstanding.
2: Well, um, you know, I grew up in church, uh, check. I, I prayed, check every once in a while. I read the Bible and every once in a while. We said prayers at night and at the, at the table, check, check. And um, I was a sophomore in high school, and I went to a fellowship of Christian athletes conference in Fort Collins, Colorado, because I was a fast guy and I was going to win all the ribbons. And I went with a football buddy of mine, and we were just going to have a blast. And um, you know, uh, while we were there on a Thursday evening, we were in the auditorium, and speakers was talking to the group, and the question was asked, "If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven?" And I sat there, and he was talking to the whole group, but he was talking to me. And uh, I thought, "Wow, you know," and I started. Figuring, well, you know, I, uh, I haven't done anything real bad. My goods outweigh my bads. Do I know beyond a shadow of doubt? And I really was not sure. And uh, he said that the uh, Revelations 3.20, Jesus says, I know at the door of your heart. If you open up your heart, I will come in and dine with you and you with me. And uh, so then he went through the four spiritual laws that there is a God. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, I know there's a God. I know that I'm separated from God by my sin. Yeah, I've made mistakes. I do stupid stuff. Do I believe that 2,000 years ago that Jesus came and died on the cross? And I said, you know what? I do believe that. I believe that the Word of God is inspired, even though I don't read it a lot. But I do believe that it says that if you confess it with your mouth and believe in your heart. as Jesus to um, be your Savior, okay, for your sins. He said you will be saved and you can guarantee yourself that you go to heaven. Why? Because God can't lie. So he says, if you want to see that little prayer, come down in front. And I'm like, Nah, I'm not doing that. So I remember running back to my dorm room hoping I wasn't struck by lightning by the time I got there. And I got on my knees and I said, Lord, if you're who you say you are, I take you at your word. I know that you're there. I know I'm separated from you by my sin. Father, I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Lord, come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. I was a sophomore in high school. Now, bells didn't go off. Whistles didn't go off but slowly but surely the lord started to work in my life and and that's when i became a christian
1: man that's that's awesome we 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 tell everybody on this uh this show we love to hear everybody's testimony they they never get old and they're all different and and i envy that that you were able to do that at such a young age it took me a lot longer and and we've talked about this on this show it took me i was stubborn Brad, right, I'm 100% Irish. You know us Irish boys. We, we, uh, we get after it a lot of different ways. And uh, I was stubborn, I, and I envy the fact that you made that decision at, at such an early age. Um, you know, one of the questions that we ask uh, professional athletes, and, and certainly even in college, um, was it harder for you to walk worthy in the locker room or outside of the locker room?
2: Uh, For me, uh, I don't know, after that had happened and I had that transformation kind of in my mind, um, I wasn't too concerned anymore about what people thought. I still wanted people to like me, so to speak, but I was more concerned about what God thought about me than what people did. And for me, so it really did not matter. Uh, It did not matter if I was in the locker room or outside of the locker room. There were times where maybe I would buckle under, or I would do this or do that, and then the Spirit of God that He said He will send you um, when you accept Him into your heart, then there was guilt, then there was why, why did I do that, or why did I go down that road? So there were times where I think peer pressure might hit you a little bit, Um, but then again, the more and more that I wanted to love the Lord and get into His Word, and that's what I needed to do, make sure I was in His Word, make sure that I was praying on a daily basis, because if not, you know, then you're going to uh, very easily fall back into the world. And now you're not listening to the spirit in your heart. And you're letting the world and the people around you determine who you're going to be instead of the God of creation who sent his son to die on the cross for your sin.
1: Man. He's uh, Brett Butler, again, former center fielder, National League All Star. I, I, I wonder, Brett, in baseball, I, I find it difficult um because you there there are more players coming in and out or you're getting you know you're in single A to um excuse me to double A and you're moving about with with different players that might not um, have the same feeling or have the same um, conviction that you have and so I find it with baseball players because of the difference of, of players and locations that sometimes it makes it a little bit more difficult uh, for them inside the locker room but for you if, if if you're just who you are and you don't really care if, if people are going to accept you for who you are or not just this is who I am if you want to know more about me come ask um, do, do you find that in, in baseball I know baseball chapel is is a big deal, and they do a great job with that. Um, but did you find when you went from in the minor leagues to the major leagues that uh, that everybody's pretty accepting on who you were?
2: Uh, I think it's about the same. I remember my first day uh, getting called to the big leagues in Atlanta. I walked in, and it wasn't the first day, the first week. So I walk in on a Sunday, and I walk in, and there's this this older guy now. He's in his mid-40s at the time, but this older guy. And I'm like, who are you? And he goes, My name is Walt Wiley. Who are you? And um, Walt has been my mentor for a long, long time. Um, He's in his 70s now. He's uh, with an organization called Winning with Encouragement out of Charlotte. He worked with Walk Through the Bible for a lot of years. But Walt was my mentor that came alongside me. God brought him into my life to be able to give me structure, understanding, and even discipline to how to deal with it in the locker room. And Walt knew a lot of guys. And the thing about Walt is that they respected him, even though they might not agree with his belief. But the one thing that I learned from Walt is what God calls us to do. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're not to judge anybody. We're to love people. And even though we might not agree with the way they're living or whatever may be the case, it's still our responsibility to be a light in their life. If they choose not to receive that, all you do is kick off the dust and you move on, but then you don't belittle them or put them down or say anything, and I think that's what's wrong with Christianity today. We've got too many people judging instead of loving people in the kingdom.
1: Man, amen to that. I I fully agree with you. Sometimes what, what I was surprised most about, um, and again, I'm, I I guess 15, 14 years, I still consider myself uh, a newer Christian. I, I I'm surprised how Christians battle each other. On, on just stuff that I don't think really is all that important, and and when when we're then going out and we're trying to talk to to people and have them join us and and at least have them come and and and, and sit at Brookside Baptist Church where I where I go to. Um, If they come in and see see fellow Christians battling about something as simple as, you know, who's going to help with this, or, you know, I brought that and you didn't bring anything, I I think it just makes us look bad, Brett.
2: Well, everybody, I don't care who you are, Christian or not, everybody lives under the umbrella of pride. Everybody does. Yep. That's probably, to me, not that there's degrees of sin, but pride is the biggest culprit, I think in regard to understanding ego, pride, all of those things. And the bottom line is you're who you are because God made you that way. The things that you have, if you're a professional uh, athlete and you make a lot of money or you're the janitor down at the local um Uh, High school, okay, if you're a softball coach or if you're uh, just um, um, a regular Joe in the world, God made you unique. There's there's nobody like you. But what we try to do is because of our insecurity and because of our pride and because of our ego, everybody wants to be looked at. Hey, look at me and look at me instead of looking at God and saying, Lord, how do you want me to handle this situation? And it's a humbling, I think, that each and every one of us has to do. If you're a Christian and you're humble yourself, that's what God calls us to do: is to serve people. Okay, not to be a dictator over them or tell them that they're wrong. It's to love them in the kingdom with the living word of God's word. To say, well, what's God's word saying? You share the truth of God's word, and somebody's not living that that way. They, they're not going to like you. But, but God says, hey, they didn't like me first. They're not going to like you either. And who are you there to please? Are you here to please the world, or are you here to please God? But if you're here to please God. You're supposed to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Even if you don't like them, you're supposed to love them.
1: Hey, Brett, Walt Wiley was he, was he um, was he part of baseball chapel?
2: He was. Yep, he was part of baseball chapel for me in Atlanta. That's where my foundation. He Lord just happened to put him in my life, and he was part of the uh, baseball chapel for us.
1: What, in, was in was he with the Braves for a long time? He was. Yeah, because, you know, when we talk to guys, I'm telling you, anybody who went through the Brave organization talks about how special that organization is, and they, they talk about guys like John Smoltz and Greg Maddox and, and guys who just were really strong in their faith. They were outspoken about it, and I and I certainly give a lot of credit. I've not heard the name Walt Wiley before, but but certainly give him a lot of credit uh, because when we have guys on that, that, that made their way through the Atlanta Brave organization, they said, Look, that's a special organization. If you if you're if you're a man of faith and you're looking to walk worthy, that's not a bad place to be with, with those guys.
2: Well, there's no doubt about that. But if you were to ask the, the John Smoltz and the Sid Brains and all those guys that are over there and you want to mention Walt Wiley, what they all will say is Walt was a major influence in the growth of my life because all Walt did was Walt was there to serve God and give the truth of his word and get foundation, and that's why people were drawn to him because there is a void that everybody in the world has. They try to fill it with everything other than God. But if, in fact, you are open to that and you have people like Walt Wiley come into your life and shares that, it's an automatic friendship and a bond that lasts a lifetime. And each and every one of those guys would say the same thing about him.
1: Boy, that's awesome. You know, I'm, I am... Uh... I'm going to reach him. When we get done with this show, I'm going to see if I can't locate Walt Wiley, and uh, I'm going to see if I can't get him on because that's awesome. Last thing before we get to a break, when you talked about that part of it, when we had Daryl Strawberry on, he said, look, I, I had everything that I thought I wanted. Growing up, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. I was that. I wanted to be one of the better hitters. I was that. I had all the money, the homes, the cars, the girls, the drug. I had all of it. And I couldn't figure out why I was so unhappy. And he said, it wasn't until that day when I fell to my knees that I realized, look, that that's all worldly stuff. And that's all that pride issue that you were just talking about. And he said, but I was never happy. And he said, I'm pretty happy now. I had to go through, look, and and, and Strawberry is saying, look, I went through a lot of nonsense. I went through a lot of stuff that was my own doing. And I took I take full responsibility for it. But but until I got myself right with, with, uh, with my savior, um, I was not happy. And he seems to be doing much better uh, at this point. We're going to get to a break. Other side of the break, we're going to talk to Brett Butler about a couple of things. 1996, um, he got sick and it was, uh, it was a scary illness, and we'll talk to him about that, and then we're gonna ask him about his platform that the Lord has given him, and how he utilizes the, uh, the platform that he has. Again, our special guest, Brett Butler, former center fielder and National League All-Star, is with us for the entire show. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan.
0: Welcome back to Faith in the Zone. An inside look at people in sports and their walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by All American Window and Door. Here's host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, All this time, you covered me.
1: Welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I am Mike McGivern flying solo this week. Again, Pastor Ken Keltner is out of town. Our special guest, man, he's a good one, Brett Butler, former center fielder, National League All-Star. Brett, if we can, and and I know that uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time because it's probably not a great subject to talk about, but in 1996, um, you were told that you had cancer. And, and I just want to kind of go back to that time, if I can, with you and, and kind of get into your mind on, on where you were. What type of cancer were you suffering from?
2: Well, it was uh, squamous cell carcinoma. Basically, what happened is um, in the uh, winter of, of uh, 95, I uh, got a sore throat, wasn't sure what it was, went in and saw a buddy of mine who was at an ENT, and he said, you got tonsillitis. So he gave me antibiotics, and I hit the spring training, and it continued to get worse, and I had another round of antibiotics. And so um, it was just one of those things that it just gotten bigger. And so the season started, and I'm struggling, and Tommy was sort of calm with the Dodgers at the time, and Tommy calls me in. He goes, hey, I'm going to give you a couple of days off. And I'm thinking, well, that means, hey, old man, you're not playing very well. And I said, Skip, I said, my throat's killing me. I'm going to go home and get my tonsils out. I feel terrible, and, you know, I'll be back. But I, I got to go. And I remember – Going in, and um, the surgery was May 2nd, and uh, when they woke me up, they told me that I had squamous cell carcinoma cancer. which shocked my world. I'm 38 years old, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, I didn't smoke. You know, I didn't do any of that. And, um, but I would accepted Christ into my life, like we talked about earlier, when I was a young man. And the one thing that uh, I did is, is visualize giving your life to God. I, I did not give God my life with a closed fist. I gave it to him with an open hand. And Lord, you do with my life what you'll have me do. No matter what it is, I know what you have for me is better than I ever could have for myself. Not that I'm going to understand it. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, you know, then I'm like, all right, Lord, uh, you promise you won't give me something I can't handle. I'm taking you at your word. And then they cut me from uh, the lower part of my right ear all the way down my my throat across the front to my Adam's apple. They took out uh, um, 50 lymph nodes. I went through 32 rounds of radiation. I went from about 163 or 4 pounds to 140, and the doctor said I'd never play again. And I remember laying there saying, Lord, my days are numbered by you. I never knew that I would even play in the big leagues. But, Father, if you want me to play again, then I can play. And I remember going to the doctor's office, and I said, Doc, is it one in, you know, give me a number, one in 100, one in 1,000 that I would ever play again? he goes, oh, Brad it would probably be one in 5,000. I said, well, Doc, it was one in 10,000. I didn't even make it to the big leagues. And so I've already cut that in half. And if the Lord wants me to play, uh, I will walk back on the field this year. And that was May 2nd. Um, And September 6th, I walked back onto the field to a standing standing ovation of of 55,000 people to the glory of God who allowed me to take those twenty-three steps from the top of the dugout to the banner's box, and those people stood up, and I started to cry. And I'm like, "Lauren, I cannot believe that you continue to allow me to play." And that's kind of how it happened.
1: Wow, that's a man. That's emotional, Brett. I got to tell you that um, walking for those twenty-three steps had to be incredible, and and the amount of love that that. You know, people in that stadium had for you and the respect that they had for you to to get back at it um, that just had to uh, highlight of, of your career, I'm sure, right? One of them.
2: Well, well, it is one of them. I mean, I gained 18 pounds in, in 19 days to try to get back. They wanted to send me back to the minor leagues and I said, if I'm going to do this, you got to let me do it. And so it was a lot of work. You know, when I was playing, before I got sick, it was easy. I was a little kid playing. Now I'm 38 years old and the radiation and the cancer took a little bit of a toll, so it was harder to play. And I got a hit in the game, and, you know, I stole a base, and I scored a run, and it was fine. And, okay, now I'm back. And, you know, five days later, I squared around, and like you said, I was known to be a good runner. I squared around and got hit, in the, and the hand broke my hand. Uh-huh. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I remember my wife being so angry, and I said, you know, honey, I just believe that the Lord in my spirit is saying, you know what, you've done everything I've asked you to do. Now it's time to rest. So the season, you know, I had the rest of the season to to rest, and it was very, very hard on my family. My kids, you know, some of them wanted me to play, others didn't. And so I prayed about it, and I said, listen, if you'll let me play one more year, I'll play one more year, let me go on on my own terms. And so in 1997 at 40, I let off and played center field. I hit 283 and walked away from the game, and and that was it. But, uh, you know, God was gracious. He was allowing me to uh, continue to play. And like I said, it was a dream come true, and I believe that that is where the strength of my faith came, where I'm able to go on a radio show like this and share with you to the power of the living God, the God who, if you stand on the sea okay, on the shore, the God that spoke the words that separated the land from the sea. If he can do that, he can work miracles in anybody's life. All he's asking you to simply do is step out and trust him as a loving father, and that's what I did.
1: Man, you know what? that That's a drop-the-mic moment right there. If <laughs> I'm telling you, that would—if uh, I didn't have a few more minutes with you, we'd drop the mic, shut it off, and say that, that, that was awesome, right? It really was. When— when you look back at the at that time um you have to almost be amazed at the power of God to be able to get you through that illness and get you back on the field i, I just i i can't imagine the the feeling of saying hey look i'm close and and i want to get back on the field you know for a few more games and 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 show that look i'm i'm ready to go i'm healthy again what well, the the organization that you were with at that point were the dodgers were they were they um did they surround you with, with love, or did they let you on your own and then you came back uh, when you were ready?
2: No, they surrounded me with love. I'll never forget Peter O'Malley. Peter O'Malley said to me, take my plane, take whatever you need. You're part of my family, you always will be. Um, it's something that I'll never forget. I remember uh, uh, the time they came into Atlanta, um, I, they came in to play the Braves and I hadn't seen the team. And I remember walking down to see the team. I wanted them to see me to know that I was okay because they had been carrying my jersey around. And when I walked in, my nickname was Bugsy. They all had hats on that said Bugsy. And so they showed their love. They showed their support. But i got to tell you, Mike, um, through the whole process, might sound funny, but I was never closer to the Lord than I was when I was walking through the adversity and the trial. It's when things are going good and we have a tendency to take God and put him in our back pocket and live our own life that we lose our distance from God. That's why, for me, when things are going well, I've got a great wife of 35 years. I've got four wonderful children, and two of them are married. i got two grandchildren, and life's wonderful. The Lord has restored my health, but on an everyday basis. I need to get into God's word. I need to thank Him. I need to pray to Him, and I need to make sure that I put on the armor, the breastplate of righteousness, and the belt of truth, and the shoes of readiness, and the helmet of salvation, and the and the shield of faith, and the sword which is His word. Because if I don't, then I am going to waver to the left or to the right. And my desire is to walk in accordance to what God calls me do, because that's where I'm safe. And when I'm out of that zone. That's when I get caught in the world, and just like anybody else, I'm a sinner that falls short of God's glory, and only by the grace of God am I the man that I am. And it's only because he plucked me out of the pits of hell, and I received him as my Lord and Savior.
1: Man, anytime somebody can quote the book of Ephesians, they're welcome on this show. It's my favorite book. Brian, right? sometimes I fail before I get out of bed. Putting the full body of armor on, brother. Hey, we're going to get to a break. Other side of the break, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what, what you guys are doing now in, in Arizona. And uh, I think it's really interesting the kind of work that uh, that Randy Holland and, and, and you and some other guys in Arizona are doing. I really like it. And we're going to talk with Brett Butler on the other side. Again, former center fielder, uh, National League All-Star. The other question, before we get out of here, I'm going to find out. Um, If he could go back and play one more game, what uniform would he put on? I'm going to ask him that on the other side of the break. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan.
0: More now of Faith in the Zone, discovering people of sports and their walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by Young Express. Back with host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner. On Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, All this time, you covered
1: me. Welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I'm Mike McGivern. Alongside, I actually fly solo this week. Pastor Ken Keltner is out of town. Our special guest for the entire hour, and he's been great, Brett, Brett Butler. Former center fielder and National League All Star, hey Brett. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now in in Arizona. We talked about it off the air, but the Paul and Timothy um, thing that you had talked about. I'd like to talk a little bit about.
2: Well, it was uh, something. Uh, you know, I retired a year ago, October 5th. I walked off the field after being the third base coach in Miami and. And the Lord just kind of put it on my heart, and that's one thing that we have to realize is we're children of God. He says, if you accept me as your Lord and Savior, I will give you a helper. And if we will just listen to the helper, it will never lead us astray, the Spirit of God. And the Spirit was just kind of on my heart, something to do with the Paul Timothy discipleship thing. And then I've got a buddy of mine, Donnie Gordon, who I played with in Cleveland. Donnie's a little bit younger than me. But at one point I said, Donnie, I just I want to really know God's Word, and would you disciple me? You know, God says, and, you know, in his word, Matthew 28 talks about, go and make disciples. And I want to be discipled. I want to know God's word, so I'll be able to share with others. And and so Donnie did that. So, you know, when I was done, I had shared that with Donnie. But Lord's kind of put this on my heart. He just laughed. He says, "But there's a guy there in Arizona by the name of Randy Holland. He was a minor league trainer for about 18 years. And he wants to do a discipleship, Paul Timothy discipleship program. So uh, you need to meet him, and I met him, and he's like I've known like I've known him my whole life. I've known him about seven months, and we're putting together a curriculum in regard to First Peter and and trying to find faithful men to be able to form their life. I'm not talking about just going breakfast. That's fine. Uh, I'm talking about one on one flesh on flesh, getting into each other's lives, talking about pride, talking about ego, talking about sin, talking about everything, and coming alongside and trying to equip godly men as God calls us in his word. Go and find faithful men to be able to share my word, to be able to multiply and share the gospel in the world, because that's what he's calling us to do, and that's what we're trying to do with a number of other people
1: here. Is, is there, um, in your area, is there a lot of guys that are open to, to getting involved with a group like that?
2: Uh, you know what? It's one of those things that you've got to be meticulous, you are got to go slow. This isn't something that you're looking for numbers. Okay. You're looking for godly men. So right. what you have to do is you have to de- develop Paul's men of God who, um, as Paul in the Scriptures, went around and he found Timothy, and he taught him about God's Word, and he brought Timothy with him, and he and he brought Apollos, and, and there's all of those that you know, came along and Paul was a strong messenger and minister for the kingdom of God. That's what we're trying to do, and so what we're trying to do is find those faithful men who are going to be accountable, who are going to be responsible, who is going to be open, who wants to grow, who wants to be discipled, and basically you don't go around and say, hey, let me disciple you. What you do is you offer these things and you say, hey, if you want somebody to disciple, pray about it. who God puts on your heart, and if it's one of us, so be it, and you get into their lives and help them to be men, men of God who he's called us to be, and
1: that's what we're trying to do. Hey, Brett, we've uh, thank you so much for that. We've got about three minutes, four minutes left, and I've got a couple of uh, baseball questions for you, and then we'll cut you loose. If If you could play one more game and you could pick the uniform to put on, whether it's a Braves or Dodgers, Indians. What, what uniform would you put on? Who is, who is the, uh, the team, when you think about Brett Butler, that we should remember you as a baseball player from what organization?
2: Well, the team that wanted me. <laughs> um, you know what? That's a hard one, Mike, to do. You know, Atlanta gave me my opportunity to play in the big leagues. Cleveland gave me my opportunity to establish myself as a big league player. San Francisco was fabulous. We went to the World Series in '89, the Earthquake World Series. I was involved with the Players Association in 1994 that brought down the playoffs in the World Series, and I was was ostracized. And Fred Wilpon, the owner of the Mets, was the only one that broke ranks and gave me an opportunity to play for him. And then to have the privilege to be able to play for Peter O'Malley and Tommy Lasorda being my manager along with Bill Russell. I can't really pick a team to say. The team I played with the the longest was the Dodgers, but every one of them has a piece of my heart, so that's
1: a hard one to pick. That's that's an awesome answer, by the way. Um, can you, when you think back on your career, um, is there one or two moments that stand out to you, like the, the, where you just went, man, this is incredible. This is exactly what you know why I'm playing baseball. Was there a big hit? Was there a a game that you played in? I obviously winning the World Series had to be something, right?
2: Well, I guess there would be three points. Uh, one was my first day in the big leagues. I remember getting to the big leagues. You know, you have a goal. Everybody has dreams, desires, and goals was to get to the big leagues. And I remember I got a hit off of Dan Boitano on the Mets the seventh inning, and I, score, I think I scored a couple of runs and stole a bag. You know, and I was interviewed, and everything was great, and the lights were there. And I remember everybody was gone, and I walked back to my hotel room. And I got in my room, and I sat on the bed, and I was by myself, and I just started to cry. And I said, Lord, is this it? This is what I've worked for my whole life to realize, that it just came for a moment, and it was gone, and that the only thing that is worth living for is a relationship with you, because I know that'll never go away. That's one thing that stuck out. The second thing that stuck out to me was playing in the World Series of the earthquake, when the earthquake hit. Yeah. And to realize that, you know, and as much as I love the game of baseball, that it's just a game. And what life is about is about people and relationships and life and death. And are you going to choose to be in heaven or are you going to choose to be separated from God and be in hell? And that's what our responsibility is, to share that. And then lastly, the third thing, like I said earlier, was the 23 steps after cancer, walking from the top of the dugout Dodger Stadium to the batter's box and to be able to acknowledge the fans that stood up to give glory and praise to my King of King and my Lord and Lord. Who allowed me to continue to play. And those are the th- things that stick out
1: the most to me. Amen. He is Brett Butler. Brett, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, your willingness to come on Faith in the Zone. Uh, I want to thank uh, Walt Wiley uh, for 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 his uh, for disciplining you and and the work that he has done. I especially want to thank Randy Holland for uh, putting us together. And uh, thank you so much. I know that the people here in Milwaukee that are big baseball fans. I um, have a tremendous amount of respect for you as a man and as a baseball player, and thank you so much for your time. I look forward to catching up. We'll give you a call back in six months and see how you guys are doing in Arizona. Um, I want you in the middle of December, February, January, think of us here back in the Midwest. You should feel sorry for us because it's going to be real cold soon. <laughs> oh,
2: well, happy holidays to you, buddy. Uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, and you, you so know well. what? You can always make the choice to come out to Arizona. It'll be about 75
1: at that Uh, time. That's not nice of you. He's Brett Butler. Thanks for listening. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan.
0: You've been listening to Faith in the Zone with host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner. You can hear Faith in the Zone every Sunday at 8 a.m. To find past shows, exclusive podcasts, or to contribute with an inside tip for a guest, simply go to faithinthezone.com. Faith in the Zone is an inside look at people of sports and their walk in faith. Join us again next Sunday for Faith in the Zone, right here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.